Turpin was the first black judge elected to the Stark County Common Pleas Court in 1972. He also served on the sixth correction. He also served on the fifth district court of appeals from 1983 until his death in 1989 Ira G. Turpin Sr.
this is an amazing true story of a man who was taught as a child to believe that there was no goal that he could not achieve. He was taught early on that hard work is a necessary ingredient of a happy, successful life. Ira Turpin is a gentleman who, through persistence, hard work, and the help of his family and friends, achieved uncommon accomplishments in his life. I never forgot what my grandfather said to me. He said, now, son, whatever you want to be, so you try to be the best. So if you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, or anything else, you try to be the best. If you're going to be a gambler or a drunkard, you be the best. Whatever it is you're going to be, you try to be the best. So that was what I always remembered, and that's what I always aspired to do. Ira Gerald Turpin was born in 1925, the son of Ben Hubert Turpin and Johnny Magdalene Turpin. He was blessed with parents who were determined to see their son take his place as a solid, responsible citizen. Ira grew up in the shadow of his brother Vincent, whom he adored. I would say, you know, my life was like in different stages. Now, when I was uh, at 12 years old, see, my brother and I were very close. And you have a tendency, because he was two years older than me, to want to be like your big brother. And he was a big influence on me. Now, whatever he wanted to do, I wanted to do. So he, at 12 years old, won an amateur contest that was sponsored by this company, Tempkin Company. And at that time, they had a contest where uh, if you won as an amateur, they'd send you to California, to Hollywood, or, and you'd get an audition or something. Well, at 12 years old, he won that. He imitated Cab Calloway and danced. So as a result of that, then we entered, we started to tab dancing. We had a dance team. And we ended up becoming professional in that work because we started traveling Keith Circuit and we would dance all over the state of Ohio and all over uh, the state of Pennsylvania. How old were you then? Well, he was 12. And, and you were 10. And I was 10. And we did that until he got to be 16. And then when he got to be 16, he started boxing. Well, when he started boxing, that kind of broke up our dance team because he was a pretty good boxer. As a matter of fact, he ended up being a number 10 welterweight in the country and uh, fought the lightweight champion of the world. So then the uh, war came about, and I went into service, and he went into service, but I was trying to box too because I wanted to box, and uh, he was boxing. And then when I came out of the service and he was out of the service, I had about five fights, professional fights. I won all but the last one. And the last one, uh, that was taught me a lesson. I said, well, I can do my fight better in, in doing something else. And so that's when, uh, that's one of the reasons why I didn't resist too much when Genevieve kind of pushed me up to do something else. Uh, and, I, and, you know, I went on to school. And I decided then uh, I'd be a lawyer. Uh, when I played basketball in McKinley, there were uh, three blacks on the basketball team. Ernie Parks, oh, yeah, center, and um, and uh, Henry Hank Smith, we called him Henry Smith. Uh, he was first on the reserves, then moved up to the varsity, and I was on that ball club. In recognition of his many athletic accomplishments, Ira Turpin was inducted into the Canton Negro Old Timers Athletic Hall of Fame on May 7, 1989. In 1943, Ira faced the same prospect most other 17-year-olds did, a war to be fought, a war to be won. And so he enlisted in the United States Army. Listen as his old friend, Owen Barnes, describes those days. In 1943, Ira G. Turpin was drafted in the United States Army. He is assigned to the quartermaster unit and was sent overseas where he became sergeant in the truck motor pool. His duties carried him 
over the Red Ball Highway from Germany through France into Belgium near a small town in Brussels where he encountered segregation. In 1946, he was honorably discharged from the Army, and when he returned home, he found that his uncle, William Turpin, had formed the Utopia Civic Club, whose purpose was to better conditions for blacks. Ira became president of that club, and one of his first projects was to take the members to the Mozart Theater, where they picketed this theater because of his segregated seating policies for blacks. After three days of picketing, the management changed their policy for seating, and blacks were able to seat, sit wherever they chose. I was walking up to my business one day, and I got to thinking, I'm entitled to go to college and entitled to go under the GI Bill. So at that time, we had here Kent State University, Kent, which was a branch of Kent State University. So I just kept walking. I walked right on up there and told the, uh, the advisor uh, that I wanted to start the school. He asked me what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. I said, well, the only guy I could think of at that time that uh, I kind of thought was uh, what would be a role model was Judge Clay Hunter, who now has passed, but Clay Hunter was a lawyer, and I... I liked him. I thought that uh, he would be a good guy to be like because he, everybody seemed to like Clay Hunter. And that's true. Yeah, they, they did. And uh, so I said, well, I want to be a lawyer. So they gave me all these tests, you know. And uh, when they, this fellow gave me these tests, uh, he looked at me and he shook his head. And he says, don't do it. He says, why don't you do something else? He says, you'll never make it through law school. I said, hey. No need to tell me what I can't do, man. Just put me in the class. I know what I can do. You know, these tests that they gave you back then, and even I think now sometimes, uh, they give you a test that really measures your cultural exposure. Right. Really doesn't Very measure true. your uh, your intelligence. And uh, see, if they'd give me a chiseling test, then I would have passed, you know, because most white folks wouldn't be able to pass the chitlin test, but I would because I knew what chitlins were and how to cook them and everything else. You know, that was my type of culture. That was the culture I was raised in. But they didn't give me that kind of a test. So uh, I sometimes think about that now and wonder if I'd ever see uh, my advisor, and I'd never seen him since that time, but we did all right. You know, when young Ira decided to be an attorney, he needed a role model for inspiration. Judge Clay Hunter, the first black judge in Stark County, and attorney Frank Bean provided that for him. Here we have a boy that, he, he comes up from nowhere. He goes in the army, he works and puts himself through law school. And he ends up an appellate judge. I watched our turban during the, from the time he was first appointed uh, as assistant prosecutor, all through his, from then all through his career. This is Mr. Bean speaking, and if I recall from childhood, Mr. Bean was an attorney, Harvard Law School attorney. Now we'll take a quick break and we'll come back to this story of Ira Turpin, a product of Browntown.
Welcome back. Thank you for listening. We will be hearing the second half of a tribute to Judge Ira G. Turpin Sr. Judge Ira G. Turpin Sr. the grandson of one of the children of John and Lutishi Brown from Browntown. He has lived up and measured up to every trust and he's done it efficaciously and well that his position as a lawyer, as a prosecutor, and as a judge put upon him. Now I can say without fear of any successful contradiction that no assistant prosecutor has ever measured up as well or better than our Turpin has. And to prove it, the public has seen fit to elect him common police judge, to elect him appellate judge, which is no small honor. Yes, Ira and I were part of the old McKinley Pharmacy Gang. We went to, of course, McKinley Law School for four years together. A great time, a tough time, because we were all working and going at night, so it took a lot of effort. Uh, I guess it wasn't all business because we were all having families at the same time. I remember when we had our commencement, half the wives were pregnant at the time. But uh, it was demanding, and yet uh, we made it three nights a week, and it was always a great pleasure and a joy to be part of the class with Ira and a number of others around the city that have... uh, have become uh, judges and are very much involved in the uh, activities of this uh, community. But Ira and Genevieve didn't spend all their time developing his budding legal career. They conceived, nurtured, and expanded their good influence through five children and now eight grandchildren. Are there any special people that you feel that uh, helped you on your way, or that you remember for any special reason? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. The first person that I can remember that helped me on my way, and but for her, I would be uh, where I am today, is my wife, Genevieve. She's the cause of me even going to school, you know, and uh, she stuck by me all through that time, and it was rough for her. We didn't have any social life, see, because one like you, I had, we had three children when I started the school. And you went to night school, too. Oh, yeah, and I worked at the, in the mill. I was a molder at Kent Malibu uh, Iron Company and uh, when I was in, in school. And I would uh, work uh, during the day, and uh, I would uh, go to school at night. We had no social life, and uh, it was tough for her. And, as a young attorney, Ira realized that it was very important that black people make inroads into the political process of the community if their dreams and aspirations were to become reality. He saw the opportunity when Norman Putman ran for Stark County Prosecutor. Yeah, when I went into prosecutor's office with Norm Putman, that was prior to, uh, and it was, I guess, what you might call a premature uh, thing involving uh, civil rights. There was, I think there was only one black person working in the courthouse at that time. And I took that job because, and I talked with uh, Norm Putman about uh, if he was elected, whether or not he would hire a black prosecutor and system. Now, I hadn't personally talked to him, but others had. And he had said that not only was he going to hire a black uh, assistant, but he was going to hire a woman. He was going to hire a Greek. And, uh, and 
he was going to hire a black. As a matter of fact, he had sort of like the international uh, office. Now, I didn't particularly care whether he hired me or not. As long as he hired somebody, that was fine because we were really trying to uh, integrate and and make things better for black people. Because you do a lot of things because of not necessarily your own self, but for other people to make the world better, to, to make uh, things better for uh, your people. So that was one of the reasons why I first got into that particular uh, position. But Norm Putman, I worked with him for 10 years as his chief assistant. And then I worked with Dave Dowd for six years as his chief assistant. That's, and right. after that, that's when I became a judge. I took office in 1957 as prosecuting attorney. At that time, we had 17 pending and untried first-degree murder indictments. So Ira Turpin told me we better go to school and learn how to do this. We went to New York City to a prosecuting attorney's conference for a week. Turpin had an uncommon ability to work well in so many different situations, whether it was before a jury trying a case, whether it was questioning a suspect in a criminal case, whether it was dealing with assistants that worked for him in the prosecutor's case, whether it was with lawyers appearing before him as a judge. No matter what the situation was, Ira Turpin knew how to adapt to the situation. He had uh, great uh, uh, devotion to people, and, and he uh, could understand uh, what the, their concerns were and, and readily adapt uh, to the situation and do it in a very effective way. What, uh, what part does uh, religion play in your life, Judge? Well, when I was 15 years old, my mother bought my brother and me a Bible. So I read it all the way through, and I read it a lot now. So uh, I, very, I believe very strongly in uh, God, and, uh, well, our whole family does, as a matter of fact, and we talk about that a lot. I, I used a lot of the material from the Bible in my trial work when I was a, both as a defense lawyer and as a prosecutor. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of lawyers used to claim, especially when I was prosecuting cases, that uh, I was preaching. That, that, that uh, I had a lot of different quotes that I would use. And that's kind of been all through my life. So it's closeness with God, as close as we can get. You know, that's what I hope. But the fearless assistant prosecutor met with less success in his first attempt at elective public office. His 1969 campaign for judge of the Canton Municipal Court was unsuccessful. But remembering the lesson of his grandfather, Ira did not give up his goal of becoming a judge. Seeing his next opportunity, he ran successfully for the Court of Common Pleas and became the first black person ever elected to countywide office in Stark County. Everyone believed at that time, and there were just very few who were uh, Republicans. As you know, Norm Putman was a Republican office, and, uh, and I'm a Republican. And there are very few black Republicans, even at that time. There were very few black, well, there were just very few, I'd say 99 or 90% of the people here in Stark County, black people, were Democrats. And nobody could understand why I was a black Republican. That is a lot of, I, don't, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people. Right. As a matter of fact, one of uh, a political science teacher that was teaching out at Kent State uh, asked me one time and challenged me. He says, how can you be a, a Republican? You're black. Which kind of, I said, hey, uh, you mean there are no black Republicans? I said, let me tell you something. You know, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected, what you don't know is that there was only one-seventh of the black people at that time that were Democrats. Six-sevenths of the black people, when he was elected, were Republicans. Now everybody swung over, you know, and went with the tide. Now everybody believes that the Republican Party is bad for black people and that the Democratic Party is bad 
it's good for them. Now, my grandmother was a Republican, and she's the one who uh, told me, says, uh, you read and study about what everybody does insofar as the political parties are concerned. And that's what I did. And I came to the conclusion that I would be much better off to be a Republican than to be a Democrat. And quite frankly, I think that had a lot to do with my election. Now, I want to tell you Probably something. did. And I want to tell you something here when we talk about politics. You go back and you look. And I'll bet you you can't find in the history of this county any time since the 20s where any black person was elected to any county office until I got elected judge of the Court of Common Pleas. You were the first. Clearly a contribution Judge Turpin made of lasting benefit to the whole community was his tenacious attack on the overwhelming backlog of cases he inherited upon taking office. When he walked into that office on the first day and realized there were over 600 pending cases, he knew what he had to do, and he did it. What I did was um, I had set a goal for myself to bring my docket current really in three years. I figured that would be half of my term, and I had inherited around 500, over 500 cases. And I set three years to do that in and to bring that docket current. There was no court at that time uh, in Stark County that had a current docket. Then in 1982, the three-quarter of a million people in 15 counties recognized the value of his judicial service as he was elected to the 5th District Court of Appeals where he has served these past six years with Judges Norman Putman, John Milligan, John Hoffman, and Earl Wise. Judge Milligan recalls. We were delighted to have Judge Turpin join us on the Court of Appeals because we knew uh, that he would bring great wisdom and experience to our court, and he did. So here you have it, Trials to Triumph. A man, a family, a people determined to lead the way in making the world a better place for all of us. The struggle from trials to triumph, the quest for equal opportunity for all Americans is far from over. We're sobered in the realization that on January 31, 1989, his last day in office, Judge Turpin was the only black judge above the rank of common pleas in the whole state of Ohio. The path he blazed must not be allowed to grow over and be forgotten. And herein is the challenge to each of us, and especially the young people, the next generation who will struggle to turn their own trials into triumph.
Thank <laughs> you.